Welcome back to Expert Instruction, the Teach by Design podcast where we dive deeper into the research surrounding student behavior by talking with the people implementing these practices, where they work, and with the students they support. I'm Megan Cave. In this month's Teach by Design article, I mentioned the Leadership Forum and the sessions that are devoted to uh, engaging student voices in our PBIS implementation. Well, one of those sessions that I loved was a presentation given by Felicia Singleton and Marcus Jackson from uh, San Diego County Office of Education. So here's a little bit about them. Uh, Marcus is an advocate for students and families, and he's a veteran in this field. Currently, he is an executive consultant and content lead for the San Diego South County SELPA's Equity, Disproportionality, and Design team. He consults with school districts about their climate and culture, as well as their development, their implementation, and the overall sustainability of their multi-tiered systems of support. He's driven by the goal for all students getting their social and academic skills that they need to be successful for the rest of their lives. And Felicia is another veteran voice we're excited to have on this podcast. She's been working in education for 32 years at the school district and now at the regional level, where she currently serves as the director of system of supports. She has a deep commitment to dismantling inequitable and harmful systems that prevent all learners from fully accessing their education. She's uh, focused on supporting schools and districts in their implementation of equity-centered, multi-tiered systems of support, restorative justice practices, transformational social-emotional learning, and so much more. Now, listen up, because this is my favorite part that Felicia told me about herself. In her work with students, she is guided by the traditional greeting of the Maasai, which is, and how are the children? It's her hope that by creating the conditions that make a difference in how children are thought of, cared for, educated, and protected in our schools, that she would be able to confidently respond, the children are well. So today, the three of us are talking about student voice, specifically about the ways that their county has included students in their work to address equity and disproportionality. The student panels they've hosted basically turn the microphones over to young people to let them share their lived experiences in schools. These panels are powerful examples of how students can teach us the lessons that we all need to learn to be able to confidently say, the children are well. Hey, Marcus and Felicia, so glad you guys could join us today. Um, so we're talking about um, student voice in our PBIS implementation and how we can uh, add it to the things that we're already doing as grownups. And so um, I know that you all are doing some really good work. And I'm, I'm like, when I was sitting here, like waiting for you guys to join me today, I was like a little bit nervous. It felt, I felt nervous. But I was, I think I'm just really excited about it because I've watched some of the panels that you all um, did out in San Diego and um, with the students. And I'm really excited just to talk to you about all of that work. So we'll kind of start from the beginning, I think, which is um, so a key part to anyone being able to add student voices to their implementation or their decision-making processes or any of that is to get your leadership on board and some of the adults, I guess, the other adults involved on board with uh, including the, that student perspective. So I'm curious about how student voice showed up as a priority 
within your region? Well, it was, it was organic. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was very, um, it was something that I believe our leadership, obviously we wouldn't have been able to get this far with this many interviews if our leadership wasn't on board, but it organically showed up uh, in light of 2020, March 13th, that faithful day when most schools closed. Um, and then alongside the racial reckoning of 2020, our county office really um, sees the moment to say, what can we, what can we do with what's happening? You know, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, all these things were happening. And we saw so many um, more disparities because of COVID. So our team, you know, came together and they wanted to do something. And from that conversation, you know, it's like, why, if we're talking about students, we're talking about um, discrimination in schools, why don't we talk to the clientele that we are serving? And that's how it really started. Um, we said, you know, let's let's do a student panel. Let's let's get this voice. And it started with our first and only panel at that time was we called it um, Freedom Summer. Um, we based it on what was happening in civil rights movement, but we wanted to hear from students. Yeah, and was everybody on board? They were like, we should talk to students and get them involved. And people were like, yeah, great, sounds great. Let's do it. Yeah, actually, incredible. Uh, I think it was just like, we, it'd be good if we could talk to students. I was like, well, why don't we? And why don't we? We were able to leverage relationships. It was a summer. I don't even know what I was saying and what I, t- <laughs> it was like, yeah, let's do it. And it was like, wait a minute, nobody's in school right what now. Did I- <laughs> what did I just commit myself to? But really we leveraged relationships and we were able to get students and our, my biggest non-negotiable was that we don't target one district. So just to give you context, we're the county office of education. So that's like a regional education center or a system. Um, we didn't want it to be about one particular region in our county. We didn't want it to be about one particular district or school. So we set out to get representation from all corners of our county. Um, so that was huge. And then that really was the roadmap that we followed. Students didn't disclose the school or district or their last name once with this process got going. So. Mm-hmm. And how many districts and schools do you all serve? We serve 42 districts, um, over 130 or 40 charter schools, Marcus. I mm-hmm. mean, yeah. is one of our districts, and they're the second largest in the state. Sweetwater High School District is the largest high school district in the state. So just to give you context, we have a pretty big um, reach here in San Diego County. No kidding. No kidding. Um, was this the, this, uh, panel project that you all have spearheaded? Was that the first time that you had started to incorporate student perspectives in what you were doing, or had you seen this happening in other schools that you support individually, or have you done other things within the region like this? Um, Go ahead, Marcus. Well, I was going to say, um, probably the first time for this particular format, given the circumstances, Right. But in terms of just incorporating student voice, I think uh, Felicia and I have both been administrators. So we've always incorporated student uh, a voice in our particular school sites. But for the magnitude of what these panels uh, that were uh, displayed during this time that, that Felicia mentioned, this was the first time it was to that wide scale. Because like she mentioned, it wasn't just uh, one particular area. This was throughout the county. They had student voices from come, come from across the, the different um areas throughout the county yeah i would definitely go ahead um 
in, and like Marcus said in our previous work as administrators, we worked with students. I was at a district and I did a lot of work um, incorporating student voice. But at the time I had been at the county two years, maybe not even quite two years when we had our first panel. So this was the first time that we experienced something like this. And we of this scope. Of yeah. this scope, yes. Yeah. We didn't really, I don't remember really asking. I remember just saying, we need to do this. And we just kind of went with it. And just it was, did it. it yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting too, how um, the timing of it all, this is like, this is really important work that you all are doing. Um, and how like, there are lots of ways, obviously, that the pandemic and doing things virtually has been a hardship. But for something like this, I'm not really sure how you would have managed to host something like this without folks being so familiar with doing things on Zoom and being able to, to coordinate ourselves across multiple places all in one like virtual space. So can you tell, let's just like help our audience bring them up to speed a little bit about this project, these panels that you all hosted. So can you tell us a little bit, can you bring, give us some more detail about what it is that you did who participated, how you selected them, um, all of those kind of logistical pieces, and then we'll talk a little bit more about it. Okay. Um, so again, we leverage relationships with administrators or educators throughout the county. Mm -hmm. It's with the uh, Young, Gifted, and Black, Black Student Voice Panel. And um, that was the first, that was the first panel you did? Mm -hmm. panel. Yes. And what it really stemmed from was during that time, uh, a lot of work across the country was being done around implicit bias, around yes. um, even storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. story. So that's what really, you know, pushed us to say, why don't we try to get some young people um, to come? So we called around to different superintendents and administrators and said, this is what we're doing. Can you give us some names of students that might be interested? I also thought it was important that they knew this is what this wasn't a target, right? We're not trying to shame your district. So I assured them that confidentiality would be protected. Yes. Uh -huh. It's really to show that this is happening everywhere. So that's mm -hmm. it's collective, it's the collective responsibility of all of us to do something different because it's not something that's like, oh, that's the poor kids on the south side, or that's happening to those, you know, kids out on the reservation. It's happening everywhere in every pocket of our county. So that's um, really how we did it. We, we leveraged those relationships. And once um, we had the first one, it exploded. Like the feedback, the response, and Marcus can talk um, from a parent perspective. So what I leveraged were the restorative justice uh, philosophy of community building circles. And mind you, we had been in the pandemic three months. So if Zoom, three. Was, Zoom was still very new. Yes. Uh, very, very new. Mm -hmm. um, but we really have been focusing on building community on my team virtually um, since the pandemic started. So even though we're not physically connected and I, I don't like socially distanced, we're physically distanced, but we can yes. socially connected. So we just used all those practices. You know, we, we got the students together. We talked to parents. We put together a release of information and a press release. We, um, you know, any kind of fears, we told students they could turn their cameras off, but we really empowered them. We told them, this is your opportunity to say anything you've ever wanted to say about your educational experience. Um, and we gave them the questions ahead of time. We held office hours so they can practice, kind of like, you know, this, these are the questions 
jot down, run through with your family. Um, so the first panel was really interesting because we had to select who's going to answer what question um, because it just became a really rich dialogue and they had a lot to say. Um, so we shifted as we moved on. The rest of the panels were um, like, these are the, the questions and we would, we would go through them. But uh, that's really how we did it. And we told the students, we're not going to censor you. We're not going to um, sanitize your message. We need to hear from you. So was that your guiding question is just sort of what was your, what has your experience been in education? Was that, was that your hope was to get some information from students just about their experiences or was there something more specific than that? There were a few overarching questions. One is what yeah. experience and we wanted some concrete examples, but also what do you need from adults at, at the time we thought we were interested. I loved some of their responses about that. Yeah. So enlightening. So what do you need and, and what are some things you wish, you know, educators knew about you? Do you know how uh, superintendents or administrators selected or invited students to participate? Marcus, I, uh, Felicia just said that from a parent's perspective. So your son uh, participated, yeah, on the panel? Uh, yes, he did. And um, some, they reached out to me. I think it was, uh, I don't know if it was Felicia or one of our other colleagues just reached out to me. And to see if my my you know if I would be interested in, in talking to my son. And so um, when I spoke to him, I I, I talked to him about the um, the opportunity to get opportunity to speak about his um, his his voice, uh, his 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 experience. And mm -hmm. uh, like I mentioned in the um, the presentation, I, I wasn't too sure he was going to jump on board, and I didn't want to have any influence whatsoever because I wanted it to be authentic from him. Mm -hmm. And once he met with Felicia and then our colleague, Anthony Seha, he came back after that first session and I saw his eyes. I saw his um, the enthusiasm. I know he felt comfortable. I know he felt safe. And yeah. he said, Dad, I'm going to do this. And I said, go for it. Yeah. And I was just proud of him. But I was more um, uh, really glad that he was with uh, adults that he felt comfortable with in a school in in, in a in a setting that was going to help him walk through this process, and it just turned out great. Yeah, I'm so curious too because, I mean, I have I have two kids. They're not uh, they're not high school age, um, but I have spoken with high schoolers, and I remember what it was to be a high schooler and to talk to adults about openly about my own experiences in school was not necessarily something I would have jumped on board with. I would have been pretty skeptical too. But it sounds like from what you're describing and from listening to some of these panels and the discussion that happened, students felt safe to share really open and really openly and honestly about what their experiences were in school. And I'm really curious about how you think y'all were able to create that? What is it that folks were able to do? What did he, what did your son hear? What did other students experience? Like, what was it that made them feel so safe to share the way that they did? I think more than anything, it was an opportunity to know that they weren't the only ones experiencing this situation. So it, 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 it had that sense of community. Yes. And then it also had an opportunity with adults who were going to listen, not judge, but really get an opportunity to listen to what they were saying. And then the biggest thing is that there was a hope for a call to action afterwards. Maybe if I speak up, this is going to benefit a student that comes after me. 
in the school mm -hmm. center. So there was the much larger picture there that mm -hmm. this was my my voice has an opportunity to impact future students coming through the school systems. Mm -hmm. Yes, that was a very, very important piece, Marcus. I'm glad you brought that up because so many times um, in our educational systems, we go and get the ASB president or yeah. The, the captain of the football team or yep. the child whose parent is on the, the PTA or what have you. Um, but we wanted to get voices from everywhere. So that was huge. We also asked, and you've seen the panels, we wanted each of the young people to think about someone in their life that was a supporter to them or that was a mentor that they wanted to dedicate this conversation to. And we really framed it that this is a conversation, right? This is And this is your story. Nobody can negate that or, or challenge that. Um, so when they were linking their experience back to a grandparent, it was so powerful. Grandparent, I know. Mm -hmm. someone in their family that had just been in their corner, been cheering them on. It was almost like I'm doing this for myself, but I'm also bringing my ancestors along. I'm bringing my mm -hmm. family. Along. So uh, we also set ground rules. So every time we would meet, there were these expectations that you tell your own story. If you hear something that rattles you. We're going to assume in this space that it's it's comes from a good place, you know. But we're going to stay curious, um, and we're going to listen and speak from the heart. And those were and it, everything was confidential, with the exception of us having to mandate anybody being harmed or yeah. harm themselves or others. But once we laid those ground rules there and everybody agreed to them, they built some community with one another, got to know each other, and some of those young people are still staying in touch today. Oh, that's wonderful. I loved uh, some of the practices that you had that were that spanned all of the panels, the questions or the there were two things that you brought up at the beginning of each one, which was that uh, your my experience is not up for debate and uh, my experience is not for your entertainment, but you are it is here for you to learn. And I thought that they were so it was such a they were really simple, super easy things to say. And, but they really do resonate, right? Like this, this is literally me listening to your actual lived experience. And I can't question it because you lived it, not me. And, um, and that I liked the bit too, about the piece about not being there for your entertainment, because that means that there should be some sort of action at the end, that mm -hmm. it's not here for me to just listen and watch it and then go home. You know, I'm not eating some popcorn while I'm listening to you. I'm actually going to do something about it. I'm going to listen and learn. And then it kind of compels you to do something with it. And then, of course, when you asked each of the students who they were dedicating this experience to, it was such, there was such a range of responses to that. And it was really nice to hear the people that had made such an impact on their lives and how they wanted to give this back to them. You know, I thought that was all really great. Um, another question that I had about it, though, is uh, so you how many panels did you have total? Wow. Um, I want to say we had eight. Uh -huh. Yeah, it was and it was all it was divided. Uh, how did you decide the, the panels that you were going to host after that first one, did you already know that you had others or was the success of the first one, did it make you think we should do this with additional students? I believe it was both and. Um, yeah. that we, we were intentional about Black Voices first, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, and then it was like, okay, we need to do more of these. Yeah. 
and and the response we got from the adults like there were educators in the chat and just emailing and texting you know yeah so talk about that what has been the response to these panels oh my goodness everything from you you know the youth are courageous Mm -hmm. you're shifting my practice you're helping me to uh can you come to our district and do help us transform can you come to our district we want to do equity work we want to do pbis work or you know so they're really Marcus and I are big systems people like these panels are powerful, but it's going to take more than a panel to shift the culture and the practices in your system. So every classroom practices change and we know that it has to be at all levels of the system. Mm -hmm. What was your response, Marcus? Did you listen in? Were you were you in attendance when your son was speaking? You you know what? Actually, I had a training the day my son (laughs) You know, uh, he presented, so I didn't get a chance to see him. I saw him afterwards. Yeah. But I, uh, I did watch all the other ones, and I'm, I, I get goosebumps just even thinking about that because, uh, and I think uh, Felicia mentioned it. You talk about courage. Um, these students were so courageous to get the, to be in that space and to share, and, and and it was powerful. But it also is an eye opener to the adults in the room. I mean, we work for students. These are our clients. These are our, our bosses in our schools. And so to hear them say there, there are things that are happening within our, our systems, it's a wake-up call, you know, mm-hmm. and um, just powerful. But like I said, um, if we really want to know how to change our systems, we have to talk to those individuals who are directly impacted, and it has to start with the students. So mm-hmm. to me, it was powerful. And, and like Felicia said, it was widespread in terms of um, the positive uh, experience that people um, were able to see, but also how do I do it? What can I do? You've given yes. me the courage to now start this within my, my district. And so we, we're seeing that across not only our locally, but also for um, schools throughout the state who have had, had an opportunity to, to, to see these students and it at least laid a foundation for them to uh, incorporate this type of work in their school districts as well. I think it's great. All of these panel discussions are available on your YouTube site. Um, So everyone can go and watch them. There's clips and there's the full versions too. And you even have panels with um, leadership in there, which is also great to to listen to to what leaders have to say about uh, their experience or their students' experiences too is also really um, eye-opening. You mentioned um, hearing some of these stories and getting goosebumps. And I think there were so many things that I heard from them. I think it was um, Avery. It was during your um, students with disability panel. Mm-hmm. Um, she uh, she said um, she had was relating a story about how she had gone to PE and uh, she was hopeful that there would be an adaptive practice for her so that she could also participate. And um, she was given. Uh, something to do that her body just wouldn't allow her to do. She struggled to do that thing. And so she said, it was hard for me to perform at my best when I wasn't given the proper exercises. And to me that I related that to everything. Like it's impossible for any of us to perform at our best if we're not given the tools that we need to be successful. And so just listening to, to that um, I think Chelsea, it was on your LGBTQ uh, student panel, um, said um, 
that she was talking about um, uh, the experiences that she had had in school um, and uh, the challenges or the any sort of um, difficulty that she had come up against in school. And she said that it's not about what teachers say as much as what they don't say. Mm. She was talking about how um, the silence that she would hear from the adults in the building meant more to her, was more impactful to her than maybe something that they might've said that would have been hurtful. So I don't, the, the, these students had such wisdom and um, they were able to say things that if you're really listening to what they're talking about, it's not just about their experience, it's about everyone's experience in the school. And it really does make you reflect on the ways that you might've contributed to uh, someone's negative experience within the building. I'm curious if you all, after, after all of this, if you all had moments where you were like, oh, I gotta do that differently next time. You know, if there was something that was said or an experience that a student shared that made you go, that meant something to me and that's, I'm gonna change how I do something because of what they said. Well, I don't want to sound like we don't have work to do because we do. <laughs> yeah. You're talking to uh, advocates, you know, for children who before, like for me, before I learned certain terms and yeah. before I learned certain programs, I operated in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it probably is based on my own educational experience. And I didn't want anybody to go through some of the things that I went through, right? So. Yeah. Um, and I also wanted to just double back because you brought up two, um, you know, the, the LGBTQ panel and students with disabilities, and we purposefully left those for last. We intentionally every single race panel first because we wanted educators to not feel like, well, I don't really know about the race thing, but I can totally connect with the students with disabilities, or I could totally mm-hmm. connect. You know, I'm the GSA advisor. We don't want someone to have an out, basically. We wanted yeah. to make when we can, when we can uh, equalize race, when we can talk about race and, and look and unpack that, then it's kind of like those strategies when you're an educator and you do this for the, the emerging bilinguals or, you know, students who are differently abled. When you put those strategies in place for everybody, everybody mm-hmm. wins, right? Everybody does, yeah. Oh, is that let's not, even though we told these individual stories, we didn't want to sum it up that, you know, it's race and then it's everything else. When we take care of people and are kind or compassionate and are reflective, then we're going to do right by children, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like we, I was intentional to say that we started with race on purpose. Yes. Yeah. Visually, there were some folks who said, let's just bring a multicultural panel together. And it's like, no, everybody's something yes I so something else that I noticed was uh oftentimes when we talk about including student voices let's say on your school-wide team you know as you're talking about PBIS and you want to get student perspectives on what's working and not working uh within your school-wide systems oftentimes we talk about getting representation right from from around your school so that like you were saying it's not just student body president. It's not just, you know, it's not just students who are already involved and successful in school. It's actually everyone. And you get representation from all different identities within your building. And 
I think that there's, there's value obviously in doing that. Um, but I also saw, and not, but I also saw, um, on this panel, how, what a difference it makes for students to be surrounded by students within their community and then being able to share so openly, like you were saying that it wasn't just my experience, it's all of us are having this experience. And so it makes it feel safer to share maybe a little bit differently from that perspective. That was just something that came to my mind. I don't know if that's true, but it's something that I noticed uh, as I was watching and listening to these students. You know, one thing that, that stood out to me, um, there was one particular student and this student was African-American student. And in his story, he shared about how his teacher spoke to him as if he was illiterate yeah. and he slowed down the conversation. And even when he, um, you know, the student was going out of his way to try to let this teacher know he spoke a different way. The teacher was telling him to speak the way you normally speak as if the teacher knew how he normally spoke. Yeah. And so what this student did is he said he spoke to other uh, uh, black students and apparently they were receiving the same type of treatment. So what he noticed is that even um, the white students or the students who were not black in the particular class start also speaking the same way towards uh, uh, black students as well. So by whether implicit or not, um, mm -hmm. what this teacher was doing was modeling an inappropriate and uh, 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 a microaggression that students were now picking up. And see, although this was a black student and this whole series was about student voice, taking away the student's ability to speak in their authentic voice can affect any of those panels. That's what that student was doing was shutting down. And so that's why it was so important mm -hmm. to have the different voices for those aspects, because some of these things apply throughout and yes. they're impactful. And they, they and not only does it affect those kids currently, but it, it just affects those kids after long after they're out of that classroom. Because mm -hmm. it said to him, it said it made him feel inferior. Mm -hmm. Now think about that. If that happens in elementary and it carries to you with the middle school, and then your expectation might be the same thing's gonna happen in high school because this is all you know right. by an adult who was in the school system who taught it. Right. We just, I was just looking at some uh, student engagement uh, data and by fifth grade students are like three quarters of the students are, are engaged. And by the end of high, by the time you get to high school, I think it was 11th graders were the least engaged, but it was all the way down to like 45% engagement. Um, it's really remarkable how it can become this, it compounds itself, like you were saying over time, that if it starts even at a younger age, the way that you engage with your own education by the time you are in high school, it mm -hmm. is affected. Mm -hmm. So you've done all of these panels, these eight different panels. What has, you've talked about people wanting more and saying, yes, I agree. So what do you, what happens now? What has happened since? Have you gone to these districts? Have you have you seen a change? What changes have been implemented within your region or at the individual district or school levels? Have you seen anything yet? Well, this this was a partnership. So although we're all under the umbrella of the our county office, we're all in yeah. different divisions. 
um, specifically for my work, what is happening is we're getting a lot of, we're we're always a leader with restorative justice. And um, we work really hard to connect the dots for people to show how restorative justice can, is anchored in a PBIS structure, like what that looks like. Um, We're getting a lot of requests on leadership uh, and then what has also happened now when we do walkthroughs, so we have a district or a site that says, oh, we really want PBIS and we go out and meet. We ask them to um, have some students ready for us to talk to without yeah. the, or the administrator there, because we really want to get as authentic um, a snapshot. We know it's just a snapshot and we work really hard. So no one takes it personal, but, you know, the view is just different, you know. You go see Hamilton in the balcony versus the ordinary. <laughs> so we really wanted, um, we really need that feedback. So that's one thing we're doing is now we're working uh, with our PBIS professional expert, uh, Patty Hirschfeld, to develop a tool. When we go to sites, we uh, we want to hear from students, and we're also really, really um, encouraging leadership teams to bring that student voice. To, to life. And then we've seen districts reach out to, hey, I want to do a student panel or site. Can you help us plan it? So we're seeing all and everything in between. Have you seen similar things, Marcus? Are you experiencing all of that too? Oh, for, uh, for sure. And I think um, the key fire, I, like Felicia said, just the students bring such an authentic uh, voice. Uh, and, and having students sit, even when you're evaluating the tiered fidelity inventory, I tell you, um, they bring a realistic aspect, particularly when it comes to to expectations or teaching of expectations. They'll, they'll let you know if they have not been receiving that in that instruction, uh, but also with the acknowledgement piece as well. So it really it it um, it holds the, uh, the 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 school accountable and uh, a way to action plan in those areas if if you're not receiving that support. But uh, just in general, um, the work that we do too at the um, uh, South County SELPA uh, is, is really focused on disproportionality and equity, uh, but also having that student perspective. And we try to take a human-centered approach to compliance so that students are always at the center of, of the work that we do. Can you talk, say more about that? It's, uh, those, are, those are all words I know. Ooh, okay. But strung together, I don't know what they mean. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, no, that's uh, okay. That's okay. I just, I just want to know more. Well, we, we, we work towards equity in our schools, but when we're looking at disproportionality, oftentimes when students are um, identified or referred to a particular category, say suspensions, and, and uh, for example, and that's higher than their actual enrollment, then if they become disproportionate. Yeah, and usually um, that's a compliance issue, particularly with school uh, schools or school districts. Okay. So uh, we encourage uh, schools to have more of a, a human-centered approach because if you only focus on the compliance, you yes. forget that there are real-life students who are affected by that. For example, if that referral is a, is a person exactly going home <laughs> exactly. So so we can. We, can, we have to work towards compliance because those are state and federal guidelines that we work right. through. But we also have to look at those that were directly impacted by that lack of compliance. So that's that human-centered approach. So you, ta- you have to talk to students. You have to talk to those who are directly affected. You have to talk to parent groups and also uh, the staff members. But those, that student voice, and, and I say that again with the students being um, the foundation of why we work in schools, 
-hmm. we have to make sure we're finding out what we can do better to help support the students. And we can't do that without getting their voice. Mm -hmm. uh, something that I think, uh, Felicia, you might have said in your presentation uh, from the forum was uh, that if but if you're going to if you're going to ask students for their opinion, buckle up and be ready to hear some truth. You know, <laughs> they're going to tell you exactly how it is. So um, I think that that's like an incredible piece of advice that you can offer up to other people who are now listening to the work that you've done and say that they want to do it where they are. Is there any other, what advice would you have to people who are trying, like they're inspired, they want to, they want to start talking to students. What would you say to them? One thing I would say is create the opportunity. You know, um, if the trust is not there from the beginning, um, you have to build that. You have to build the rapport and build the trust. And you may have to also have alternative ways to do that. For example, if students aren't willing to communicate mm -hmm. in one platform, then maybe you start a different, a different pla uh, platform just to give them the opportunity. And that may be have them write how they're feeling uh, anonymously. So that way they at least get to get that information out because all of that is data. That's mm -hmm. data. That's real raw data for schools to be able to do something with. Mm -hmm. That's a very good point. I would also, a couple of things. One, um, tell them why you want their voice. Like don't just mm -hmm. talk to them for the sake of talking. <laughs> <laughs> A, a, a scaffold of a plan of what you intend to do with it, right? So um, this is why I want to talk to you. This is what I'm thinking about. Also, I think it's important to make a commitment to keep their voice along the way. So yes. if it's a shift, your system, we're not just going to interview this one time and then go make a decision. We're going to, you know, use, you know, the, the feedback loop. We're going to engage you. We want you a part of the process. And then I would also recommend that sometimes, and again, Marcus and I have both been administrators, that comes with the label all in and of itself. So system-wide leaders to leverage those teachers or those educators or those uh, community folks who are credible messengers who have those relationships, let trust them with the work. Like just because I'm the principal, I don't have to facilitate the conversation, but I can put, you know, I can reach out to people that I trust, put them in place that the young people trust because the bottom line is that we want to get that information. And then we want to start to develop those relationships. So mm -hmm. uh, definitely make sure that it's, it's a collective work and responsibility of everyone in the school community so that we can, um, we can kind of cash in on what education, uh, you know, what we hope for it to be, what we keep promising parents that it's going to be, uh, we, we're going to need to leverage relationships of everybody. I love that. I love the idea of reaching out to community members and asking them to participate and to be possibly be the adults that are asking these questions of students and engaging those voices. It was something I noticed about those panels is that you had students, I think, from the from the university. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Who yes. um, identified as members of the community that was discussing their identity in on that particular panel, and I would imagine that that would. I don't know, just lends another layer of safety to the whole conversation. It's something that I've read about in uh, when I was when I've been looking into uh, what does research say about including student voices. And there was one study where uh, that I was reading about where uh, a teacher at this all girls school, she uh, she led a discussion amongst a group of 
of girls that were in the building and uh, wanted to get their perspective on what was going on. And she had grown up within the community. She had gone to college and then she came back and was now, and had gone to the school actually. And now she was back as an educator within the building. And so as her students were talking about their stories and where they lived and the things that they saw, she was like, yeah, I know that same woman who sells the flowers on the corner and my dad would get them for us too sometimes, you know, on special occasions or whatever. And so she was able to be like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I come from here. I understand not only am I listening to your stories, but I'm relating to them. And I think that community members can be a really great um, resource mm-hmm. yeah. for these discussions. And we, that was purposeful as well. All of the moderators graduated from schools in our county. Mm-hmm. Um, so we wanted, they were, you know, obviously had, had gone to school. So we wanted our young people to also to say that that could be me. Yes. 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 I think it was on the, um, the black student panel. One of the, one of the students, one of the college students, I can't recall her name. She said um, something that was like, I, they were telling me to go to school and they were getting me all ready to go to school. But then when I got there, I didn't know. And it's like, there was what to do. And it was like, there was some secret yes. handbook that everybody else had. And I didn't have it because I'm the first person to go to school. And so I think what she was saying that something that adults in high schools could do is actually give this secret code to students that are going off to college, like start to prepare them in that way. Mm-hmm. That felt so tangible. That was such a, I don't know, some of the strategies, the things that folks were saying was just great and adding that layer of the moderators um, understanding and being a part of this community too was really great. Yeah, and just to give you a little, and where are they now? One of those mm-hmm. members was also, my daughter was on one of the panels because we were, it was summertime and we needed students. <laughs> <laughs> he ended up at the same university where that moderator Oh, awesome. nice. So there was already a connection built in. And she was telling her, like, there's the university, the public facing, and then there's the, the, yes. the secret code and they connected and she now they have their contacts. So she's now, you know, a freshman at that university. And she's like, you know, these are some things that I wish I had known as a freshman. I, I went to college, but I didn't go to that school. So I don't know all the ins and outs. Right. Mm. So it's it's it really is paying us back in dividends that we never even imagined. Wow. Incredible. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I really appreciate you guys taking the time. Like I said, I was sitting here just like, I can't wait for them to get on. I have to talk to them all about it. Um, the work that you did, the panel discussions are incredible. I encourage everyone to go out onto YouTube and to to find them and uh, listen to them. And I just, I think it's great. So thanks so much for joining us today and for all the work that you continue to do. 